0: Forest City Church, anyone and everyone. My name is Jackie Glass, and it is so good to be back with you all. And if I have not had a chance to meet you face to face yet, I really hope I get to do that soon. Uh, We have been journeying through the book of Acts as a church. In the last two weeks, Leonard and Steve have done an incredible job about uh, teaching us about both the model church as well as the antithesis of the model church, last week when we talked about Ananias and Sapphira. And so today we're just, we're going to heat it up even more, right? We're going to heat it up. Because in today's passage, we encounter a murder. And this murder is significant because it is the first person murdered for the Christian faith. His name is Stephen, and he is known as the first martyr, the first person to bear witness to his faith in Jesus, and it ends in a murder. And as I've been studying this passage, I've been thinking about this game. um, This game? Yeah. I had to pick like a retro version of it. This is what I grew up seeing, right? There's like an app and all the, you know, cool new one. But this is like home for me well if you're if you're familiar with the game clue, they investigate backwards the murder of Mr. Body of Tudor Mansion. I mean, was it you know Professor Plum in the library with the candlestick, right? We try to figure out through the whole game who actually did it, and what is significant is that there is a murder that took place. And we need to know who did it, where did it happen, and with What weapon? And so, as we encounter the life and the death of Stephen, the first martyr, the first person killed for their faith, it is of great significance. And if you're like me, when you hear the word martyr, you can tend to think that this is something that is very far off, that this is something that is continents away for our dear brothers and sisters that are literally being. Murdered as we gather in this place, that there is not this freedom of any semblance of what we are doing in this moment, and as they bear witness, as they give testimony for their faith, for even opening up a Bible or, own, or owning a Bible, this is something that is far off. But here's the significance for us today: is this is actually not something that is far off, that while most of us will not die for our faith. The truth is, is that the convenience of us living in the northwest suburbs of Chicago does not exempt us from the commission on our life. The convenience of our faith in our geographical area does not exempt us from the commission on our life. You see, the word martyr in Greek actually means witness. It means to share with your words and to share in your writing about your faith in Jesus. And for those of us who follow Jesus, we have this great commission on our life. If we go to Matthew 28, he says, hey, now go and make disciples. And what that means is follow Jesus with your life so that somebody could find him. And then when you find Jesus, Follow Jesus with your life in a way that somebody can find him. And then every time there's a commission that is placed over our life where Jesus says to go, he's so good and so gracious, just like we sang about, that he offers us promises with it. And so we have this commission on our life to go. And then if we go to Acts chapter 1, he says, hey, but guess what? My power is with you. The Spirit will be poured out on you. And so as you go, you have the promise of my power. And you will go to Jerusalem, Dea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and you will be my witnesses. That's right. You will be my martyr. You will be one who gives words and testimony for your faith. But not only does he promise his power, but he promises his presence. He says, hey, as you are going to the ends of the earth, I will be with you. And so here's what it kind of funnels down to is this. Is you will be a witness. I will be a witness. And Jesus will be with us. And as you can see on the screen, if we funnel this down... You will be a witness to Jesus's witness. You will be a witness to Jesus' witness. And guess usually when that happens? In times of suffering, in times of opposition, in times of trial, when pain is palpable and is so present, when the reward doesn't feel worth the cost. And so this is, is, is a charge for each of us today, and through the life and the death of Stephen, for us to be a witness to Jesus's witness, specifically in times of suffering. So let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 6. There's Bibles in the pews in front of you, or you can open it up on your phone. We are going to start in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. This is where we first encounter Stephen. Verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the creation Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Verse 5, this proposal pleased the whole group. We first encounter Stephen because there is a dispute within the church. And I just love how real this is, is like when things grow, there's more work to be done. Yeah, there's more teaching to be done. There's more prayer to be done. There's more pastoral care needs that need to be assigned to. And so the dispute within the early church is within these two different groups, You have the creation, Hellenistic, Jewish-speaking Christians, and then you have the Hebraic Jews, these Aramaic-speaking Jewish Christians. Now, the difference is the Hebraic Jews were native to the land. And so they had access to networks and to resources. And so their widows were being more taken care of than the Greek Jews who had been displaced, who had found refugees in this land. And so the dispute is happening, and I just love how all throughout the storyline of Jesus, the poor and the needy and the widows is significant to him and significant to the church. And so what every good leader knows is that when more work is to be done, and you want growth to happen, is that you have to delegate. You have to find the right people to trust in order to do the work. So so the apostles, they they gather everybody together, and they pick seven of the hardest names to say, right? That's the hardest part of the morning here. All right, so they pick—but the reason they're hard to say is because they are all Greek names. They're all Greek names, which if you're following me here, the the men who were picked— we're going to the Greek-speaking synagogues, and the whole of your story the Lord will use for the whole of the redemption of other people. And so these people gather together, and they are sent off to these Greek synagogues to take care of the widows, and it works. It says the word of God spread. More and more people, because of these men following Jesus, were also Finding him, but likely also what happens is that in the face of growth comes more dispute and more opposition. Let's pick it up in verse 8. Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the Providence of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom or the spirit by which he spoke. Now, what's important to understand here is that the Romans would protect power, but for the Greeks, they would protect knowledge. They would protect logic, this this lens, this worldview at which they, they saw the world. And so here is Stephen, he is doing miraculous signs, he is caring for their widows, and Stephen's um, getting more attention. And his ministry is increasing in great ways. He has not only this power, but this new spirit of wisdom within him, and he is disputing and challenging the logic and the wisdom that these Greek Jews have been holding on to. Now, one of the main disputes that they were holding onto were around these four pillars of Judaism. There were these four pillars of Judaism. That was the temple, and the law, and the Holy Land, and this national ethnic identity of the Jewish people. And so they're having these disputes and these arguments. But we have to remember in this moment, like, Stephen was one of them. I mean, he studied these things. He, he knew the Torah and the importance of the law within him. He had been displaced. But these men in which he was arguing against could not stand up against the wisdom of the spirit, of what God was doing. And so they get jealous. They get resentful. They get angry of what's happening. They do not allow the wisdom of God to transform them. Instead, they begin to twist around his words. And they attempt to shut him up and to shut down the movement of Jesus. Verse 11. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin and produced false witnesses, false martyrs, to give testimony. This fellow never stopped speaking against his holy place and against the law, again, against the temple and against the law for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to him. Verse 15, this is so good. All who were looking or all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. They saw that his face was like the face of an angel. I mean, I don't know anything that is more aggravating than when somebody twists around your words. Like when somebody misrepresents you uh, at work or in the neighborhood or in your family or even in your platform online. Like when somebody twists around your words and you actually meant for good and they twist it around. And how does Stephen respond? They saw his face was like the face of an angel. Now, I, I picture this, his, pre, his precious moment, moment. <laughs> right? You remember precious moments. I, you know, and, and I was like, I picture this like his, his precious moment, moment. I mean, what makes somebody want to respond in the face of suffering and opposition and trial? So what's fascinating about how Luke describes this precious moment, moment, is all the readers would know that this is pointing to Moses when he came down Mount Sinai with the law. And they said Moses' face was radiant because he had been with God. And in this moment of suffering and in this moment of opposition and somebody twisting his words, Stephen is shown as being somebody who is bearing witness to Jesus' witness to him. Now, what makes a person want to do that? I mean, I mean, how do you how do you show up in the world in that way? And I think what's significant that we have to pay attention to is that already twice in this passage, we've seen this pattern, is that when there is a dispute, you look to demeanor. When there is a dispute, you look to demeanor. When there was this dispute within how you would take care of widows, they gathered up and they they recruited these seven Greek men in order to carry on the task. And in this situation, when there is another dispute, it's like no amount of logic that Stephen could have said was going to work. But where was the Sanhedrin? They're like, I'm going to watch how you respond. That's going to be your greatest testimony. You see, demeanor is is our facial expressions. Demeanor is our body language. Demeanor is how we show up in the world. And what demeanor means is that the behaviors inside of, the behaviors outside of us lend itself to the character inside of us. So how we show up with our demeanor, how we bear witness for Jesus' witness is actually what people are watching. And so Stephen, in this moment when all eyes are on him, he launches into this incredible preach, this robust review of the history of the Israelites, the history of the Jewish people. And so if you were reading along with us this week in our Bible plan, Acts chapter 7, it's hefty. It's very hefty. I was given six and seven. This is, you know, but what you can trust is this, and and I encourage you if you've been reading it this week or go back and read it because this is going to be pivotal. You'll want to keep going back to this. Is that Stephen does this beautiful job of giving this review of the Jewish people from Abraham to Joseph to Moses and then to Jesus. And he says this, is that every moment that there was rejection It was actually God's story of redemption. That at every moment that there are these pieces of rejection of how we have rejected the wisdom of the Spirit that has come is actually God's moment for redemption. And so he goes on and on about all these beautiful examples and he ties them into ways that these Greek Jews can hear that people who are arguing the logic with him about the temple and the law could actually understand. And so again, I want you to remember this chapter, go back to this chapter, because if you're ever in a place where you need that wisdom to be within you, if you need that ability to say, like, how actually does God's redemptive plan happen? What are these examples of how the Old Testament goes and links to Jesus in the New Testament? Like, Acts chapter 7 is your chapter. And Stephen, we see him, and you think, how did he have what was in him in this moment to share it? Well, what we know about Stephen's demeanor and his ability to launch into this preach is that the Bible says Stephen was full of it. I mean, maybe you've been told that you're full of it. Um, But but what what was Stephen full of? This is what he was full of. He was full of faith. That is, beliefs put to action. He was full of the Holy Spirit, the triune God that lived inside of him. He was full of God's grace. He was full of favor and kindness. He was full of God's power, his ability to do the miraculous. And he was full of wisdom. And remember, wisdom is key here. And so here is Stephen in this moment. He has been dragged in front of the Sanhedrin to now bear witness to Jesus' witness. And you think, well, clearly he probably thought this was going to be his last go around. Like what makes a person stand in this, in the face of fear? For, for you and I, when we have these moments of deep suffering, and opposition and people twist our words. I, I wish life was as convenient as not fearing. Like, I wish that that was how life went. In fact, I was thinking of this clothing line. You remember this line that was no fear? You remember this? I mean, I would put it on, but it didn't work. Like, I, I, I still felt fear, it, probably because this is why they went bankrupt in 2011, right? We all wore this and still felt fear. But what's so important for us to understand and how to be a witness to Jesus' witness is not that we will not feel fear, but we have the choice to decide what we will do with that fear. And here's the choice, is that will we fear man or will we fear God? Will we fear man or will we fear God? And let us not forget what the church has just experienced with Ananias and Sapphira. A healthy taste of the fear of the Lord. And all throughout the book of Acts, when we see Peter preaching, and we see John preaching, and now we see Stephen preaching, they said, hey, I don't fear man. I fear the Lord, and I will keep bearing witness. But this is really cool about the difference in the link between fear and wisdom. Is that this, the Bible promises that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That there is fear and wisdom that leads to death. And there is fear and wisdom that leads to life. And as we pick that way, we can be people who are full of it. That people will say, we are full of it. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so with this, Stephen continues to tell them. And he weaves together this beautiful picture of the storyline of God. And, and I have to believe that even in these moments in which they are, are hurling these insults at him, and in this moment of rejection, I still believe inside that Stephen is allowing them moments for redemption even as he's giving this preach. And so let's pick this up in verse 51. And he just, he just goes for it. Turn to 51. Seven for 51. He calls it out in them and he says this. He's, he's allowing them another moment of redemption. He says this. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are just like your father's. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. Stephen calls it out. He says, hey, look, I have been studying what you've been studying. You know, I'm one of you. There's been blood, sweat, and tears to, to preserve the pillars of the faith that we are holding on to to learn the Torah, to understand what it means to be with God. But Stephen says this, hey, uh, there's been this pivotal moment in human history that has shifted. That Jesus, he, he came and he lived a perfect life. And he died and he rose again. And now we have this beautiful commission and his promise of his power and his presence. And Stephen says this. He says this. He's like, hey, when there is a shift in human history, it's time to change your worldview. Like when God does something new, it's time to shift your worldview. And he calls them out in this. And he said, hey, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. And he says, what you are presenting as on the outside is not congruent with the wisdom of God inside of you. Because if it was, what was in you, what you are full of, would come out of you. And what a truth for us today is to say, how do we get within us what we need in order to come out of us. Because what is in us will come out of us. And if you don't believe me, just think of the last time you stubbed your toe. Chances are, what was in you came out of you. Right? And so may we be people, as we do life together, that this gets in us. So in the right moment, the right thing comes out of us. And so Stephen, he goes for it. And with opposing demeanor that we see in Stephen, and instead with um, anger and resentment and envy, this is how they respond. Verse 54. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Stephen says, Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Do you know what Stephen is seeing? Stephen is seeing Jesus being a witness. To his witness of him. Jesus standing, this visual we see is that Jesus is a witness to Stephen's witness of him. Luke reminds us that Jesus will acknowledge those who acknowledge him. And we see in this deep moment again that Jesus is a witness every time in these moments, when eyes are on us and we choose to be people who are full of it and live it out when people are watching, Jesus actually bears witness to us being his witness. But it doesn't go well. This is what happens. Verse 57. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed in and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a man named Saul. We'll come back to that for a minute. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Stephen, the first martyr, the first person to be murdered, to bear witness to Jesus's with him. In his final breath, he still, what's in him, comes out of him. And he echoes this prayer that is similar to Jesus on the cross, that is full of faith and grace and the Spirit and of wisdom. And I learned something new while I was studying this, is that there's actually a St. Stephen's Day. Did you know this? I didn't know this. But what struck me is when people celebrate St. Stephen's Day. St. Stephen's Day is December 26th. Now, December 25th, as most of us know with Santa hats on, is that Jesus is born in a manger, and it's Emmanuel, God with us. But St. Stephen's Day is December 26. To remember that God is not only with us in the manger, but God is with us in the mess. God is not only with us in moments when life is going well, but actually most of us will have to bear witness to his witness in the the mess. And so Stephen, he's stoned to death, which was not a fair trial. As we know, there were, there were procedures about this. This is clearly a mob murder. This was not any fair trial that was given to Stephen. That was the rage and the anger. But we learn of a new character. His name is Saul. And at verse 1 it says, And Saul was there giving approval to his death. You see, every death has a cost. There's always a cost to death. But the cost usually comes before the conclusion. The cost usually comes before the conclusion that we have to decide the cost of a death that leads to life before we know the conclusion of what's to come. And it is in this very scene where Stephen is the first martyr for the Christian faith that we are introduced to Saul, who is Paul, who is the main character of the rest of the book of Acts. We will get to know him well in these coming weeks. But many of us are just in the the mid-story of suffering. Like we're in the mid-story of opposition, and the cost has come before the conclusion, and so I've been thinking, how do we how do we apply this to our lives this week? Like, what does it tangibly look like to bear witness to Jesus's witness? And I think the key is to understand the weapon of this murder. You see, I've got a, I've got a. Um, basket of stones here. And what was unique about stones was that they were everywhere, all over Palestine. And so it made it the likely place in which people could be killed. Like this was the mode, this was the weapon that was easy for people to kill by. And with these stones, it was a convenient way to blast anger. It was a convenient way to blast hatred because of the abundance of the stones. And as I've been reflecting on that, stones can do two different things. Stones have the ability to blast Or stones, really, have the ability to build. To build grace. To build faith. To build wisdom. And it all comes within the weapon at which we encounter opposition. The weapon in which we encounter when people twist our words and misrepresent us. And so... um, what I've been doing is for the last 24 hours, I've just been keeping the stone in my pocket. And I had this idea of, of how to apply this. And I thought, okay, I'm going to have like baskets of stones on, on each pew. And everybody's going to hold a stone at this moment. And then wisdom kicked in that there's a lot of stained glass. And I'm the teacher up here. If this didn't go well, it could all come my way. But I do have... Plenty of stones up here. There will be stones um, by the prayer tables out back. And this is what I invite us to do this week. Is before you leave to pick up a stone. And maybe keep it in your pocket or keep it somewhere this week in which you could remember of how to bear witness to Jesus's witness. But it all hinges on this word. It all hinges on the word, consider. To consider the cost. Consider the cost of death that leads to death or consider the cost of death that leads to life. That when we encounter with wisdom and grace and faith and with the power of the spirit, that is a death to self. That is dying to envy. That is dying to jealousy. That is is dying to rage and to hatred. And as we consider that cost, that is a death that leads to life. But there's one more thing to consider. Not only consider the cost, but to consider it joy. The Bible talks about to consider it joy when we face opposition for him when we face trials for him. Maybe we will not lose our life, but maybe we'll lose friends at the lunchroom table. Maybe we're gonna lose a promotion at work. Maybe we will get silenced or sidelined because we are bearing witness to his witness. And guess what Jesus says? Consider it all joy. Because it will build your character. It will build your perseverance and it will give you wisdom. So as we close, I just want to invite all of us to stand. And if you're comfortable, I just invite you to hold out your hand as if there's just a, a stone in it. And I want to invite you to think of a current situation that you are in. You're facing some suffering, some opposition, Some misrepresentation of who you are, and for each of us, we just we we know what's ahead of us this week. We know what currently we are standing in. Maybe it's your platform online, and I want you to consider the cost and consider the joy as you hold your hands out. God, I pray for each one of us right here that we would be people who are full of it, that we would be full of your grace, that we would be full of your power, that we would be full of wisdom, that we would be full of faith. And I pray for every situation in the palm of each sin's hand. Jesus, this week, help us to witness to your witness to us. Give us strength. Give us energy. And Lord, I pray for each person here who is still trying to figure out what it looks like to follow you. I pray for this decision that indeed comes with a cost, but it is a cost that that leads to life. Lord, I pray for every person in here that is discovering who you are that the wisdom of God would cut right to the heart and that they would be reminded of life with your power and your presence. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for caring for us, for being with us, not only in the manger, but also in the mess. It's in Jesus' powerful name we pray this. Amen.